I have a strong antipathy towards positive thinking. Um, I was raised in it and I just found it completely oppressive and appalling. Um, I, I think it's really important to speak your mind. You know, at some level, if you, if you don't feel that the other person can bear the truth, in my mind, actually, you don't respect them. So to me, toxic positivity is actually a form of disrespect for the other person. It shows that you don't think that that person can tolerate the truth. And I don't mean to be blunt or harsh with truth. I mean, there is, you know, really good ways of just speaking the truth, but not getting caught up, um, but not avoiding the issue at hand. The Tom Screen Podcast is owned and made possible by Ethical Marketing Service. If your business is struggling with Google or Facebook ads, maybe you're frustrated figuring it out or there's a performance issue, Ethical Marketing Service has worked on hundreds of accounts and we can help in this area. We offer a 30-day money-back guarantee and for every direct account we look after, we sponsor a child in a developing nation with food, water and education. If you would like to find out if we can help, it's a free no salesy consultation call and the link is in the description. Enjoy the episode. Thomas Green here with Ethical Marketing Service. On the episode today, we have Wendy Nash. Wendy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to be invited on your show. It's um I'm always really delighted with uh, when people make an effort to make sure that all the tech is good, everyone is well prepared. I really take a moment to appreciate kind of what the value that you provide for your community and how much care that I receive in that process. So I wanted to say thank you very much for that. I also wanted to say that um, in Australia, this is Aboriginal land and there is a tradition that has um, started in the last few years to recognise that, um, that I am actually speaking from Darug country. So uh, just as a, um, I guess, a response for respect and ethical uh, behaviours, that's, that, that's how it is. So just to say that I'm calling from Darug country. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate the the, uh, the kind words. Um, would you like to um, tell the audience a bit about yourself and what you do? So what I do is I teach meditation coaching. I don't uh, tend to narrate meditation. I work from meditation practices that work for other people. And generally, I focus on loving kindness meditation just because, well, wouldn't it be nice if the world was a little bit kinder? Um, and I just think that we, we're not so good at receiving kindness and noticing the kindness that comes our way. And so by opening up that into our daily life and presence, we become really aware of how many acts of kindness are actually coming our way all the time. And because I work with startup founders and entrepreneurs, it's a really hard slog, you would know this, Thomas, that it's quite demanding. There are a lot of financial setbacks, a lot of funding rejections. You Often there's co-founder conflict. And trying to always look for ways to look for kindness and support that's around all the time. 
is just the only way to keep sane. Otherwise, I think you can really easily get caught in burnout. So um, and 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 think, oh look, it's not really worth anything, and why am I bothering? It's just such a hard slog, and it's for the long term. So my my goal is to give people a really holistic way of seeing kindness that is in their lives to be able to feel supported and also to then when they get large you know they become larger and they become you know they have employees and 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 everything then I really think that if we are aware of the kindness that we have and we are practiced at receiving that we are therefore more able to give it more kindly in the workplace with people and more respectful workplaces um, that I'm hoping to build with my style. So that's what I do. Well, thank you for the introduction. You mentioned something which I was going to ask you about, which is personality differences. You mentioned um, co-founder personality differences, but I suppose there um, you mentioned employees as well, so it's it's relevant among all of those groups. Um, what springs to mind when I when I bring up personality differences for you? There is a lot of conflict um, that happens. You know, people people start businesses for a few different reasons. Sometimes it's because they have quite difficult personalities and they don't want to fight with people, and but they're not necessarily very good at being employees. Uh, and sometimes. You know, people come together and they've got an idea about something but uh, find that one is really good at the technical skills but maybe not so good at meeting deadlines. And so there becomes this real tension about, well, how are we going to meet what the customer needs and meet the investor needs and and things like that. So it can be really, you know, a lot of uh, anxiety and therefore a lot of uh, narcissistic wounding will emerge so I think some people have a more softly spoken, relaxed style, and that works well. But there can also be, and some people have a more narky character. Um, and some people, uh, it, it, for people who are working hard, getting it done, moving ahead, really pushing it, it can build up a lot of resentment uh, that, Another person isn't dedicated enough or working hard enough. So those sorts of things can emerge, um, definitely. So some um, some interesting topics there, both um, narcissism and uh, resentment. So how, how do we deal with those, those different topics? Gosh, narcissism is a large topic. I've been looking at that for about 20 years. So um, it's a topic that has, I find it very interesting. People have an idea that narcissism is by its nature negative. And narcissism, I think, is really what happens as we develop as humans. So it's part of the separation process at about six months old. When we start to recognize that I am me and my care is somebody else and the people around me are different. Um, And then we also have a lot of expectation about doing things and we may not feel like we have the emotional resources or the physical resources to, to do that. And so rather than allowing ourselves to feel the emotional engagement with that because it's just too overwhelming, you know, baby bodies are very, you know, easily overwhelmed, 
So what happens with that is that we then push down our feelings, excuse me, we push down our feelings and ride over the top of that. And then when we ride over the top, we become quite hard. And you can see I'm sort of lifting my body up. But I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you've had to struggle and push through. It's that experience. That is the narcissism that is forming. And the way to work with that is to, um, I well, you can work with a psychotherapist or someone like that. But a great deal of that can, can also be worked with in meditation. I don't think that psychotherapy and you, you can replace psychotherapy with meditation, but I do think they work very well together with the wounding that happens, which is what we all have. We can't function without having an ego because we need to be able to do things. So even people like Eckhart Tolle have um, narcissistic wounding that will arise. Um, but what we can do is ask some kind of what I say backwards questions to resolve that. So I'm a great believer in introspection. I'm a very extroverted character actually and I've learned introspection through my own journey and what I do is I ask, I've got a problem, I've got this conflict with this colleague and I'm really knocked off and I don't know what to do and uh, I meditate so that's what I do but if your, your audience perhaps goes for a run or cleans the house or whatever it is that people do, something fairly monotonous, you, you bring that difficulty to mind and then you say, what am I not seeing about that? And it's a funny sort of question because it sort of isn't logical, which is great because logic is what the ego wants. It wants to make it very linear and straightforward. But by asking what am I not seeing about this, so I is the ego because that's the separation as I talked about before, by sort of saying what am I not seeing about that, that actually allows the rest of the mind to come forward with the solution that is just there. So it just needs to be heard um, and that sort of whirring voice, which is, you know, this problem, I'm feeling a conflict, that's the narcissism that is coming through in that. And you asked for something else, which which was if I think about personality as well. Do tell me if I've, I've not answered the question or you'd like something else added. No, no, it's a great answer. Um, and you've already got me thinking about the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is because you mentioned the ego. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you've got some some thoughts on the ego and responses within the workplace. So um, would you like to share them? Um, so within the workplace, I can say that everybody has an ego. Nobody doesn't have an ego. So even the, so I'm Buddhist and I follow Buddhism. So um, the Buddha says um, that the ego is like a bubble on the Ganges. So it doesn't, he's not saying he doesn't have an ego. He's saying it's a thought that if you, if you listen to a particular thought, you'll become aware that it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it runs into another thought. So you might have something that says, um, oh, I, I, I went to the shops, and then they didn't have it on the, on the shelf, and then, uh, you know, with COVID, they, they don't have it, and then the politicians aren't paying people correctly, and whatever it is that you have, each one of those is a separate story, and they're all joined together by an emotion that sits underneath. 
So by owning the emotion that sits underneath, we then can become aware of ways that are unhelpful when interacting with colleagues. So it's a, I don't know if I've answered your question, but definitely speaking kindly to people is really important. So that's the first one. Listening is really important. I have a really fantastic book that I use for um, interaction styles. It's a guy called, it's a, it's a couple actually, Emily and Lawrence Allison, and they have the book Rapport. And that is absolutely fantastic for getting on with people, um, irrespective of where they've come from. It doesn't talk about personality differences. It doesn't, it, it's much more focused on a particular interaction to be able to get on well with a colleague to understand what's going on for you, what's going on for them, what is the outcome of a conversation. And I think they work, it works very well in the workplace because we want an outcome at work. And that book really nails perfectly the, the need. I don't have anything to do with that book. I just think it's the best book ever on communication. I've been looking into that for about 15 years. So uh, it's, it's a really fantastic book. Some of the stuff um, that we've covered so far, I would say, can start off quite subtle. So, um, for example, someone's ego is a little bit hurt or maybe you might not even know that someone's um, uh, upset about a particular thing. Have you got any thoughts on, I don't know, preventing those types of instances? You know, I, I worked in the UK a couple of years ago and I did find that people were offended really easily for things that were completely baffling to me. So um, I do think that the English arts, particularly in the southeast, um, are more prone to feeling um, aggrieved and offended So compared to other nationalities. So there is something cultural about a disposition that is specific to the UK. Um, I think Australians are pretty forthright and I definitely am further more forthright than most. I would definitely say that. Um, I don't think you can prevent offence because we are we are all we all get hurt. I think that what we can do is um, I think in an interaction, in every interaction, to really listen to what does this person care about? What is their concern that they want addressed here? And what is the emotional flavour of it? What is the feeling tone that is kind of driving it? So I don't think it's wise to go into the feeling tone of um, what is going on. Oh, they're really angry or whatever. You might be able to do that. But instead, it's better to address the concern. They might feel um, that their voice isn't heard. They want to express themselves. So it's a slightly different take, and this is straight from that book on rapport. Uh, That is definitely the way to address that. Um, I did have a colleague I worked with, and she was offended by me. And I just, I just didn't understand, like apparently you're supposed to chase them and find out what have I done or something like that. And I just don't understand why somebody can't just speak up and go, you know, you've, you've offended me and I was hurt by what you said. But anyway, I, I was quite baffled by um, English ways of, I mean, my parents were English, but I found that quite baffling and confusing. So I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that question in that way. Well, one of the things I was going to ask you about was actually 
um, the negatives of avoiding conflict. And this is kind of what we're talking about now. So what are some of the, the disadvantages to not doing that? Well, how, how, long, how long do you want? I mean, basically, if you don't address it either emotionally in your own work and just because you can't always address it, you know, hurt. It's not appropriate in a workplace to be telling the boss, you know, you hurt me. That's just not all the CEO or something. You, you can't do that. Um, or a client, you can't do that. So you have to work at it in your own level. Um, and But if, it's, if you're in an office and you come across that person all the time, I think it is possible to come forward and say that because if you don't, you will become resentful and perhaps spiteful and uh, passive-aggressive. And I think that if you avoid conflict, um, I actually have a, um, a client and he's very avoidant of conflict and basically it means that he has a colleague who is quite narky, quite difficult, very, I would actually say he has a narcissistic personality um, so very complicated character and it has this really bad effect further down the line with his other colleagues. So people, one of his senior managers just is, gets really demotivated really quickly and his work gets sloppy and he gets really frustrated and I'm just like, you know, you're going to have to deal with this or that guy is going to go and you've you're going to have to, like, bite the bullet on, on doing that and get 360s. It, it depends on where you sit in an organisation as well and your sense of power within that organisation. But if you're the CEO, you've got to deal with that because, um, yeah, otherwise you're just basically letting, I don't know, probably not allowed to swear, but you're, let, you're just letting stuff ricochet everywhere because you're, kind of cowardly at some level that that's my take on it I mean I'm quite stark about it um but if you have a problem raise it I, I did have a colleague who was very passive aggressive with me she was and I it was I did find that very hard to to deal with um and I because she was never overt with me and that's what was really difficult so I could never speak to her and yet she was actually bitching about me around the office to senior managers and all sorts and she did not recognise that that is bullying in the workplace. So if that's what you're doing, then you are bullying. I just want to put it out there. I think in England sometimes there can be this thing where you, if you don't say anything then you can't cause offence but actually excluding information from people, withdrawing from contact is actually a form of bullying. So I, th I think you have to, that, that is a problem if you are not engaging. So I hope I have answered the question. You, you have to bite the bullet, you know. I, I know it's a conflict-diverse community, but, gee, there were some terrible people in that office who were, extremely aggressive and got away with it and that was horrible for the rest of us it just created this awful toxic culture so what would so be that's a, what i think yeah it's a great answer i think that um for those people who don't know how to 
should we say, um, you use the term bite the bullet, but presumably there's a way to do it um, in a in a positive way. Although that is something that I wanted to talk to you about because um, uh, it, the the perils of positive thinking was a, is a very uh, interesting um, interesting thing that I wanted to talk to you about. So hopefully we can come back to that. Um, but for in the instance where um, you, you, let's say you have someone who you feel has done something or said something not very nice, um, and let, uh, let's say a, a British person in this particular example that we're talking about. So I'll, I'm not going to talk about that. It's too difficult to talk about. In the instance where it would be better if they did talk about it, what is a what's a good way to um, to do that in a non confrontational way? Be really specific. So speak in very specific terms about what exactly the person did. Um, provide any, so uh, provide, there might be sort of um, conflicting evidence. So they might say, well, on the one hand, you know, you see yourself as um, sort of softly spoken and, and whatever, and generally that is true, but in this instance, you spoke and you said X, Y, Z. Um, my sense is looking at the at other people or me at the table, whoever it was. Um, my experience was that it was it was not a pleasant experience, and I felt um, harmed by that. And I want to have a good working relationship, but I am unsure about how that can be given this. Uh, unkind comment that came my way but very stick to specific facts specific words specific keep it really really tight I would say and provide a sort of a is it a solution or an, an outcome that you want from it no, I you want sort to of describing as well from from my perspective um I feel statements so sort of not blaming the other person but kind of saying this is how I feel around that is that a fair yeah I think that's true and I think it's also worth uh saying you know uh listening out for people's what do they actually care about you know my sense is you really care about getting on with people in this instance, it didn't work out well. There's also the case that um, what the research has found is that the way that you start a conversation is the way that it finishes. So if you go, why did you say that to me? It will end really badly. But if you if you get somebody on their own um, in a quiet moment, a little bit informal, don't sit opposite them but sit to the side of them um, and just say, look, hey, I just I found this a bit weird and... Um, this is what I found really difficult and I want to get on well with you and I want to do that. So I did have a situation um, in an organisation where somebody was quite abrupt with me and I did take exception and I just said, you know, I was quite abrupt with him because he was very abrupt with me. And I thought he had just started in the organisation and I I thought about it and I I knew he had a meeting um, in another office elsewhere and so I just got my coat and I sat outside and I knew when he would be appearing and I said let's walk together I think we can do better than this let's let's we start we started on the wrong foot let's walk so there is and and, and we actually he we actually became very good colleagues 
from that as it happens. There is a really important thing, and um, that's some research that I just saw the other day, which is to, if you have conflict, to walk, to move. So if you have to have an awkward conversation, it's just really good to go for a walk around the park or down the street or wherever. That is a really nice way of uh, giving people space to be able to move away because if it feels static, it can be the conversation a bit static. But however you start is however you finish and keep moving if you can. Yeah, you brought up someone who was conflict averse and your example of having a better relationship as um, as a result of sort of working through it with someone, that is actually um, sort of one of the negatives around not saying something is that you can't repair that um, the damage and therefore you can't have a better relationship with that person because... You know, you can't have any disagreements with someone and that's the, the negative side of being conflict averse. But um, what are the perils of positive thinking, Wendy? You know, basically it's the same thing. It's just avoidance, isn't it? You just not, it's just a conflict. It's conflict averse. You know, oh, it'll get, it'll get better. Oh, they're just having a bad day. Um, yeah, I, I have a strong antipathy towards positive thinking um, I was raised in it and I just found it completely oppressive and appalling um, I, I think it's really important to speak your mind you know at some level if you if you don't feel that the other person can bear the truth in my mind actually you don't respect them so to me toxic positivity is actually a form of disrespect for the other person it shows that you don't think that that person can tolerate the truth. And I don't mean to be blunt or harsh with truth. I mean, there is, you know, really good ways of just speaking the truth, but not getting caught up, um, but not avoiding the, the issue at hand. It's interesting because, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm undecided on this issue, so maybe you can help help with clarity okay. for me so um okay. there's that example of um problems versus challenges so um yeah. on the one hand you've got your i mean I, i'm advocate of the truth and i'm 100 percent on the same page as, yeah. as you but there are some yeah. people who say you know if you look at problems as though they're challenges or call them challenges there's actually a should we say a more positive outcome that you might expect as a result of calling it something different and um yeah, I guess I'm undecided on that. So have you got any thoughts there? Words are important. Intention is important. Yeah, I can I, I'm sort of sitting there. I think it is, you know, it depends on how you how you frame it, I think. You know, we've got a problem. I think that's un, unhelpful. But if you say, look, there is a problem here, um, then there is a problem. I think that's honest. But if you say you're, you're, you've got a problem, that's blaming the other person. So I, I wonder if some of it is actually about how personalising it is. I actually have a really good way for problem solving. So I actually use the word problem. I don't like the word challenge. It feels a bit fake just for me because I like to be straightforward. Um, I have a, a framework which I think is a really useful one and I use it with... Um, I've used it in personal interactions and I've used it, I've asked clients to do that with problem solving and they find it really helpful. 
There is a meditation practice called the Metta Bhavana, the cultivation of loving kindness. And it's done in five stages usually. And, and you, you start with yourself, may I be well and be happy, be, be at peace. And then you get somebody you're very fond of and you wish them, you know, may you, I wish you well to be happy and be at peace. You get a stranger, I wish you well, be happy and be at peace. At peace. You get somebody you have a difficult person, and if somebody is listening to this and they want to try this, do it with somebody who has nicked your coffee cup. Do not do this with somebody you have a long-standing difficult relationship with or a high level of trauma. Don't do that. Um, and then you do it for the whole world. But I, I kind of realized that this is a really good frame for all problem solving. So what's good, say, uh, if I take um, my passive-aggressive colleague, what's good is that um, I guess it, there's plenty of opportunity to bring it to the table. So I can actually raise that and, and I feel strong enough in myself and I feel like I have a strong enough connection with this person to be able to raise it as long as I do it in the right way. What's bad is that um, it's not being addressed. It is a problem. If she's bitching and gossiping around and bullying in all sorts of different ways, what is unknown is I actually don't know how she's going to respond to this. I don't know what it's going to be like if I raise the question, and that's quite scary. And then what's the whole picture? Well, do I want to, you know, what is the overall picture? If I'm leaving that organisation next week, don't care. If, if I think, okay, I'm going to be here for another year, two, then the overall picture is that this is going to be worth working through apart from anything else i don't want to have people be i don't you know think ill of me but i also think there is something about speaking up in order to for the other person to understand the implications of their behavior so the the basic thing is what's good about it what's bad about it what's unknown and what's the overall picture and from there, you can make a bit of a decision about what you want to do. But I use the word problem, not challenge. I think that's a bit, I don't know, BS in my, in my estimation. It's an opportunity, you know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> I tend to be like that. Well, um, maybe there's a, a bit of, I don't know, subjectivity in, in everyone's instance. So you said that you're quite a straightforward person and therefore you, your preference would be just truth straight down the line, right? Yeah, I think that's what's respectful. And I think that actually we we can hear truth. You know, like when kids speak the truth, you can really hear it. You can really hear it. If there's any sense that the other person is being criticised, then I think you really need to think about what's your motivation here. What outcome are you seeking here? Because if, it, if there is a sense of being criticised, well, am I wanting to put them down, put them in their place? And that's a really bad thing. That needs a bit more work internally. Okay. Um, well, the um, the profile that I'm sort of in, in prep for the conversation, you're, if I'm not mistaken, uh, an advocate of um, meditation and mindfulness. And one of the questions I was going to ask you, because I have um, practiced uh, mindfulness at least, although I'm, I'm not entirely sure uh, if you make a distinction there between those two, but I haven't continued and so what, um, what are your thoughts around, uh, I suppose, people who have started but um, are no longer practicing? 
So the first time I meditated, so a couple of stories. One time I meditated, and I think it was five years later I meditated. I just wasn't ready. You know, it's something that, that people, it takes a while sometimes for people to, to get to the, that, to be ready, because it's quite confronting. It's the first time you ever kind of have that noise whirring in your mind. Um, the other thing is <laughs> the first time I did loving-kindness meditation, <laughs> I sat down and, and we had to do, you know, may I be well and maybe, and, and we got to the end and then the, the instructor said, how did you go? And I went, wow, I didn't realize I hated everyone. So it's quite confronting in some ways. So it's not surprising that people don't continue after they've done it once, but I think that it is worthwhile persevering. And there are also a lot of different techniques. So um, mindfulness is the the one I think counting breath or a body scan, they, they tend to be quite common. Um, there's also other ones to do with, um, you, you have, um, you know, I've got a cup in front of me and I just to feel that cup, so there's a touch meditation, just to become aware of um, what the sensation is of things. So that's another way you can, you can bring your mind back to this. Uh, you can also do walking meditation, so if you're going to the bus stop or something like that, or even if you've got like kids, you know, in the house and it's complete mayhem. Every time you take a step in the hallway, you just become aware of where you're stepping. So that's a different one. But I, you know, I and I don't think meditation is for everyone. There are some people who should never meditate. And I was once on a meditation retreat, which was a 26-day silent meditation retreat. This is and this is definitely not recommended for beginners, by the way. I was quite a beginner and I, I kind of went in too deep. And as it happened, I was on uh, in a space with a woman who went psychotic. So there can be bad outcomes from meditation when it's too concentrated, too much, too soon. It's really important to self-regulate. So if you feel like this is not the right time, it's too much, you're, don't push it. Definitely do slightly less than more. Um, I also encourage people to go very slowly. So, uh, for instance, with some clients, what I do is I suggest to when they sit in bed at night, just to turn their phone onto airplane mode and um, just set a timer for 60 seconds. And that sounds like that's nothing, you know, but if you just become aware of maybe the breath moving in and out, 60 seconds is quite a long time. And, and then you might do that for a week and then the following week it would be two minutes. Don't go more than that after five weeks, that's five minutes. But always do slightly less. So I have one client and she did two minutes and she's done two minutes for three weeks because it's just better that way because she has a really crazy wild mind. So that's, that's important. And I have no judgment for people who don't meditate. I think um, if a person meditates, generally I find that their minds are wilder and they make more bad decisions because they don't have the time and space to create that but some people prefer to go for runs and I'm like okay well if that's what works for you then that's great um I do also you know I'm Buddhist because that's what works for me but I have a client who's Muslim so I don't you know 
whatever we work through, I always say, okay, well, apply this according to the Quran, whatever it is that we're talking about, what are the verses in the Quran and apply it that. And I would be just exactly the same if I had a Christian client or an atheist client, most of my clients are atheist. Well, thank you for that. I have no qualm about that. And, um, I mean, I, I, I sort of pull the analogy from, um, from exercise as well in the sense that, you know, if you start off with 60 seconds, if you really want to do it, do meditation, you find it beneficial and you start off with 60 seconds, everyone has 60 seconds in their life to do something or, you, you know, you essentially don't have a life. So um, I think that working it back in, in small increments is going to be beneficial. But um, is there anything that I should have asked you about today? Um, I would, let me think about it. What should I have asked? I, you know, the simplest way to lift your, lift your mood, actually, is to drink two litres of water a day. Like, the research is unanimous on that. So people go, oh, well, how can I drink two litres of water a day? It's quite hard work. But actually, I've got a couple of mugs here. And I, I mean, there's a bit of branding here. But um, <laughs> I've just there two ordinary 250ml mugs. If you put four of them in front of your keyboard, sort of in front of the keyboard and in front of the screen in that space between the two, and you put four of them, that's one litre. And you do that when you sit down at your desk in the morning. You repeat that after lunch. You drink all that. And then that's your two litres. And that is the single best thing to lift your spirit. So um, all for being practical and making it really small. Just do the small stuff and regularly. And then build from there. And um, what are your goals, Wendy? My goals. So... As a, as a child, I have, um, I was really lonely and I had, was very bullied at school and I was tremendously isolated. There was a lot of, you know, both my sister and my father were dying. Well, my sister had died and my father was dying and it was just awful. Um, and I was desperately lonely and felt completely deeply unloved. And I was walking along the street and there was a church on the left hand side and it said you know it's 1970s so it said Jesus loves everybody and Jesus loves everyone and I was like Jesus is one person I am one person I can find it if Jesus can find a way to love everyone I can find a way to love everyone so I guess that's what I do in my work and I have still not found the way to love everyone. <laughs> I'm trying, but still plenty of material to work with for sure. So that's one of my big goals is to find a way to love everyone and to understand what love means in that context. I'm also quite keen to uh, improve my memorization skills. So there's a really lovely book by Lynn Kelly called Memory Craft, which gives it 100 different techniques of how to memorize, which use indigenous practices. So that's that. Uh, so that's one of my goals. Uh, the other one is that I'm moving up to Queensland in a month, so it's a thousand kilometers away, and packing up the house, getting rid of things on Gumtree or Craigslist, whatever it is that you know, um, getting things fixed, sorting out, getting the place cleaned, finding a rental place. So my current goals in the next month are just that. And the other thing is I actually want to be able to 
really deepen my meditation practice. So um, I have quite a busy life like everybody. Um, I've only been with my partner for two years and before we met I used to meditate all the time and it was lovely and I miss that so much. So one of my goals later on after moving is to really get into a, a much deeper meditation practice. Well, yeah, you might need and it after that, the move, right? So uh, it'll be helpful <laughs> for that. Well, and with the pandemic, you know, so much stuff has shut down or not been able to, and I'm sick of doing everything online. So I think everybody is like that. And what about you? What is it that you would like? Um, do you have any questions or anything that you would like to say? Um, I don't think anyone's actually asked me that before. So um, thank you for, for asking me. Um, typically, um, when I have something I'm interested in, I will, I will ask you. So the, the episode is, is a, uh, a reflection of the questions I have asked you is, is stuff that I'm interested in. So um, I guess that, um, yeah, we've covered it. And I, I suppose I would say um, thank you for uh, everything that you've, that you've covered today. I found it helpful. And I think most likely... I will start um, getting back into meditation mindfulness as a result of our conversation today. So you never know how how positive that will be on on my life. And um, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to recommend a couple of apps. I have nothing to do with the apps, but people do ask me. Um, so if you're very oriented to enlightenment um, and sort of learning about Buddhism and things like that, there's a US one. Uh, by Sam Harris called Waking Up. That's very good. He's a, he has a very good ethic with that. And there's one in the UK which is Headspace, which is highly recommended. All the research says that that's the one that they use which has the beneficial, you know, all the research is used for that. So I know that Oxford University, for instance, that's the one that they have for their staff. Um, I have a, a friend who works at the University of Oxford, so she says that one. So definitely try the apps and um, there's also Insight Timer that's a little bit more random, but definitely try things and if you if it works, that's great. If it doesn't, no worries. It may not work in this moment, come back to it another time and you might find it's completely, you know, a different experience. I am actually a, a subscriber of Waking Up, so... Um... Uh, I'm glad that you recommended one that I actually use. And I have found it to be quite, um, once you have learned the skill, I've found it quite, um, should we say, beneficial for like if you're in, you're not feeling very well, you're in pain or whatever. Let's say you've got the flu. Um, I think it's very, uh, very good to have that tool uh, in your arsenal. And and he he interviews very interesting people. He has top-notch people on his program he only has really high caliber people so at the bottom of that app is conversations and things like that i think um that's definitely worth listening to you do have to pay for it but if you can't afford it then he says to contact and he'll arrange some kind of stipend for you so um he has a very good ethic i like his stuff but it's not everybody's taste so it is very good well if people want to connect with you um and perhaps uh, I don't know, they they want to find out more, um, where do they go? So um, I am a straightforward person, So and but I try also to be kind 
sometimes successful, sometimes not successful. So the company is called kindlycutthecrap.com <laughs> and you can, just, you can just find it through the contact page. That's probably the easiest. I'm also on LinkedIn. There's a Wendy Nash there. There's actually a couple of Wendy Nashes in Sydney. Um, don't go to the wrong one. Go to me. So, um, yeah, so that's that's where I go. But definitely kindlycutthecrap.com is, is the best way through the contact box. Well, thank you for your contribution and for being a great guest today. And I just wanted to say thank you very much also for your work with ethical marketing. It's just so important to do that. Um, it's a really important part of the changes that are coming in society. So it's really fantastic. I, I, I'm really delighted that you're part of that. Thank you for, for your work in that. It means a lot actually to, to people like me. Yeah. All right. Well, um, it's been great having you on and thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.